good morning, church. I'm so excited to be able to be with you all this morning. For those of you that I haven't gotten the chance to meet yet, my name is Derek, and I serve as the director for Chi Alpha, which is our campus ministry to you and I and Hawkeye and the college students of this area. This morning, we get to be, continue our sermon series, our Christmas series entitled Favor. We're spending this Advent season looking at the different characters in the Christmas story and kind of doing an investigation of these specific people and are really trying to answer this question. What about these people made it so that God wanted to use them, made it that God wanted to give them special favor and kind of a special assignment from God? So why do these people get to be the stars of the Christmas story? Last week, Pastor Daniel started us off with the story of Mary. We looked at the humility of Mary and how that humility in her life really led her to surrender things to God, and she was full of wonder. Both Matthew and Luke tell the Christmas story, but the interesting thing is they tell it from two different perspectives. So Luke tells, this perspective, or tells it from the perspective of Mary. So Mary's perspective is a little bit different. Mary's perspective is one of wonder, joy, amazement. Mary's just kind of like, wow. God's going to use me. Wow, God is going to bring the Savior of the world through me. Mary's excited. Joseph, on the other hand, he's a little bit more skeptical. I want you to imagine something for me. Imagine you're in Joseph's shoes. Imagine your future bride comes to you and says, Hi, honey, I'm having a baby. Joseph then scans his memory, like making sure he's like, I don't think we did that. Like, how? I don't remember doing that. And he's like, how are you pregnant? And she responds with glee. She's so excited to tell Joseph the good news. The Holy Spirit got me pregnant. It was God. Joseph's like, who got you pregnant? He would have been a little confused, right? Probably hurt, full of some skepticism, a little nervous. And I... I understand. I'm trying to imagine if my wife Taylor came to me and's like, hey, I'm having a baby. And I'm like, but it's not mine. This doesn't make any sense to me. So I get it, a little nervous. So we get to go from Luke's gleeful account of Mary's side of the story to Matthew's more sober account. So we'll read that right now. Matthew 1, 18 through 23. It says this. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Our sermon title this morning is Courageous Joseph. Courageous Joseph. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this Christmas season and for everything you're doing in the life of our church, God. And I pray that you speak to us in just a powerful way, God. Amen. Amen and amen. All right, I want to take you guys to December of 2018. That is when my wife, Taylor, and I bought our very first home. And that spring, we were excited to be homeowners. Really, the reason we became homeowners is because we wanted to get a puppy. So we got a puppy, and we have our new house. That's kind of early summer, late spring. We're feeling good. We are a nice little family. And everything was going swimmingly in life until one afternoon, 
Taylor and I are sitting in our backyard with our puppy, and I notice something in the corner of my eye. I'm a little nervous to look, but it's like flying around. And then I realize it's yellow. And so I figure out what it is. It's my worst enemy. It's in my backyard. We had a wasp in our backyard. See, here's my moment, church. When I'm faced with the moment of stepping up to be the man of the house, what am I going to do? Am I going to protect my bride? Will I protect my new dog? Will I protect my homeland? It's my territory, and they're infringing on it. Here's the problem. I am terrified of wasps. (laughs) I was stung by one as a young child, and that's like literally my first memory, and ever since then, I've been deathly afraid of wasps. So here's my moment. Would I step up? Would I be a man of courage? The answer was no. I ran inside, shut the door, and yelled out, Taylor, protect the dog. You got it, honey. And I just stayed inside. Until that day, she kills most of the wasps in our house. But see, in that moment, in a moment of fear, I was anything but courageous. We're often placed in moments like this in life. We encounter fear. Like maybe something happens at your work and you don't know if you'll continue to have a job or maybe you'll get a promotion if things go well. Maybe something happens to your finances and you worry, will I have enough? Will I be able to buy Christmas presents this year? Or maybe something with your family. Maybe you worry, will my kids turn out? Maybe they do something really silly. Well, not say stupid. I said stupid. Anyways, they do something stupid and you're like, will my kids work out? Is this all going to go down somewhere south? As a new dad, that's a fear of mine. Like, will my kids be okay? Will I parent them well? Yesterday they were crying like the whole day. I'm like, what is happening right now? Anyways, Lord, pray for myself. We're often thrust in these moments, though, these moments where we kind of have to make a decision, where we stare fear in the eyes and we're asked, like, will we risk our job to do the right thing? Will I trust God with my finances and still be generous even though money's tight? Will I lead my family in a way that is very different from the world around me and say yes or say no to certain things, even if it makes me look like a different or weird parent? Will I stand up for Jesus in the middle of my surroundings, even though it'll make me look different than the people around me? I want you to think about your life. Has there been a moment or a season where you've had to be in this kind of environment, where you have to make a decision, and maybe you're just a little scared of what the future could look like? This is the place we find Joseph in our story this morning. Because Joseph had a plan for his life. He would marry Mary, that's kind of funny, right? And go on to live a good, peaceful Jewish life. Everything was going according to plan. And then Mary says, I'm pregnant and it's God's. He's not sold, so he's a good man. So he's like, I'm just gonna, res- I'm gonna divorce her quietly, I'll go on with my life. And see, in this time period, any time period, that'd be a pretty logical thing to do, Right? If when I was dating Taylor, she got pregnant with presumably some other dude's kid, I probably would have questioned the validity of our relationship and future marriage. Like, she's pregnant before I get married. Will she be faithful? Hmm, not sure, right? It'd be logical to question that. So Joseph, in his time period, was doing something logical when before he got married, he's like, eh, we're just going to break this engagement off and it's not going to work. Leave Mary, go on with his life. But then in a single conversation between Joseph and an angel... Everything is forever changed. This angel appears and kind of puts Joseph in an awkward position. He says, hey, your future wife is telling the truth. And then the angel says these four words that change eternity. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Joseph's probably thinking, well, angel, that is easier said than done. How am I supposed to not be afraid? And what we have to realize is that when the angel tells Joseph to not fear, what he's asking is a pretty big deal because he's asking Joseph to be a man of courage in a lot of different areas. 
in this moment, Joseph has to decide, will he be courageous in the face of fear? And I think if we zoomed into Joseph's mind, we'd find at least three areas that he'd be processing that he has to have courage in. So first, Joseph would have to have the courage to care more about what God thinks of him than what others thought of him. Joseph needed the courage to, care, to look upward and think, what does God think of me, rather than looking around him and worrying about what the world or society would think of him. Because see, not only did Joseph have to deal with the fallout of his potential fiance cheating on him, he also lived in a very small religious town where everyone would have known. Like, it's kind of obvious when there's like 50 people in the town if one's pregnant and they're not married yet. Hmm, wonder what happened here. No, they would have thought Mary either slept with someone else and cheated on Joseph, or they would have thought that Joseph and Mary slept together before marriage. Those are the only two choices. The townspeople weren't thinking, maybe there's this third option of the Holy Ghost. And you got to think about, this is not in our current age. In our current age, sexual promiscuity is actually kind of accepted, but this is in a very religious, traditional environment. So Joseph was on track for embarrassment. So imagine Joseph going up to his friends and be like, hey guys, I know what this looks like, but trust me, the Holy Ghost did it to her. Not me, not somebody else. They'd all just stare at him like, what are you talking about right now? His reputation was on the line. You can see, if Joseph stayed with Mary, he would have been thought lowly of for the rest of his life. Joseph had to surrender not only his plans for his life, but also his reputation. Joseph would have needed the courage to care more about what God thought of him than what the people around him thought of him. And if we want to be used by God, we have to have that same kind of courage. Are you willing to have the courage to not really care what the people around you think about you? To do things even if it leads to the world's disdain. That means, are you willing to stand up for truth even when it goes against popular approval? Jesus teaches some things that necessarily don't go with our culture, right? Are you willing to stand for truth? This means standing up for Jesus, even if your family or friends don't understand. If you go home for the holidays, people might question your newfound Jesus loving, your new decisions you make, and you will stand for Jesus. This also means, will you be courageous enough to not change who you are based on who you're around? If you act like a Jesus follower here and with your church friends, that doesn't take any courage. Courage is acting like a Jesus follower everywhere you go. This means it is not courageous to do things like glorify God and worship him here at church and be like, yes, I love you, Lord, and then go about to your workplace and cuss and talk dirty and not have integrity and be a completely different person when you're somewhere else. That's not courageous. That's a coward. A coward is the one who changes who they are based on the people they're around because they're scared of what people are going to think of them. No, a courageous person is the same person no matter where they're at because they're not living to impress other people. They live to impress God. So I challenge challenge you, take stock. Think about, who are you? Three different places. Who are you at church? Who are you at home? Who are you at work? Is it the same person? If not, there's a lack of integrity. If not, there's a lack of courage. Because only fear drives us to change who we are. Fear of being thought differently by our coworkers, our friends, our family. Let's have courage. Have the courage to be godly no matter who you're around. And this will be taken a step further. It doesn't stop with just acting like Jesus in other environments. If we are a person of courage, it also means we're going to promote Jesus in other environments. If you follow Jesus, theoretically, you do so because he's made your life better. This means that theoretically, Jesus would also make your friends' lives better. 
They could receive forgiveness from sin. That seems like a good starting place for me, at least. So you bringing up Jesus to the people in your life is actually the most loving thing you can do. Every Jesus follower knows they need to be missional. If you've been in the church for any kind of time, you know that the job of this Jesus follower is what Matthew 28 tells us, which is to make disciples who make disciples, to go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the commands of Jesus, right? We are to make disciples. That's the command of a Jesus follower, is to go teach people about Jesus. We all know this. We all know we need to share our faith. However, according to a recent study done by LifeWay, over 78% of Jesus followers have not shared their faith in the past six months. That's a huge percentage of Jesus followers not being obedient to one of the most basic commands of Christianity. So the logical question then is why? So a study asked, why don't people share their faith? What answer do you think was the highest? Fear. Fear is the number one reason why people don't share their faith. Fear is the number one thing keeping people from talking to others about Jesus. Whether this be a fear of rejection, a fear of failure, or maybe, mostly probably, just a fear of what others are going to think of me. Fear of other people keeps us from doing the most loving command God gives us. Fear of other people might be robbing someone of their eternity with God. Someone's place next to their king of kings for all eternity could be on the line when we choose fear. We must be courageous, courageous to not care what people think about us, courageous to care more about someone's future than their feelings in a moment. We must be people of courage. We must be people of courage who care more about what God thinks of us than other people. Courage should drive us to not only live like Jesus no matter where we're at, but courage should also drive us to be outward about our love of Jesus with people in our lives. So my question to you, do the people in your life in your work, your family, do they all know that you follow Jesus? Do they all know that you follow Jesus? If not, be courageous and tell them. Invite them to church, invite them to Christmas Eve. There's no better time to invite a friend. People are feeling a little extra religious on Christmas, right? They wanna get that obligation out of the way. Let's take advantage of that and get them into church. <laughs> invite people to have an opportunity to meet their savior. Joseph needed the courage to care more about what God thought of him than other people. And when the angel gives Joseph this command to stay with Mary, he's telling him to be courageous, to not worry about the world, but he's also asking Joseph to do something that was not easy. Take you back to 2018 again, a little bit later after the stupid wasp. Taylor and I took a trip to Italy. It was the most fun couple weeks of my life, but I specifically say it was a fun trip, not a vacation, because it was anything but a vacation. When we were there, I had huge plans for us, and it did not like go laying around. No, I studied history in college, and my favorite time period was the Renaissance. Italy is a huge place and has a huge amount of Renaissance art, buildings, and I wanted to see them all. So one day, we get up super early. Well, every day we got up super early, to be honest. I'm not much of a sit-around kind of person, like, let's go change the world through our vacation. Anyways, so I get up, we get up super early one day, though, and I remember when we're sprinting from museum to museum, just trying to see everything, and we're in Florence, Italy. And by the end of the day, Taylor and I were both really tired, and Taylor is so ready to be done with my stupidity. And I tell her, I'm like, hey, baby girl, just one more place. One more place. I promise it'll be worth it. And I was like, honey, here's the kicker, though, all right? It's on the other side of Florence. It's actually kind of slightly out of town. And we'll have to walk there, because I never learned how to use public transportation in this other country. We just kind of figured it out when we got there. And so it's going to take us a while to get there, but it'll be awesome. That's kind of my personality. Like, I like to convince people that it's going to be awesome. And so she reluctantly agrees. 
and we set off. Here's the first picture. So that big dome is where we started, and we walked all the way over to here. So anyways, thank you, Taylor. So we walk, we get to this castle, and then once we get to this castle, Taylor sees this next site. If you want to go to the next picture. I'm like, okay, we just get to walk up that hill now, and then we're going to get to a garden, and I promise it'll be worth it. And then once we're up the hill, we, I drop the knowledge of the next picture that we get to walk up those stairs. <laughs> I'm like, baby, I know you're mad, but it's going to change your life. All right, here's some context. It's probably around 100 degrees out. We had walked all day. Earlier in the day, I already used every ounce of relational equity I had to get Taylor to climb this tower with me. I'm like, it's going to be amazing once we get up there. And she's like, ugh, the whole way up. Also, Taylor had to wear long dresses the whole pretty much trip because of tradition. We couldn't violate like their religious thing, so she had to wear long dresses. So she was spent and not ready to climb up these stairs. Also... Taylor doesn't really care about Renaissance history or art. No, Taylor came to Italy for pizza, and she's like, I just want to eat some pizza. <laughs> but I told her, I was like, Taylor, it'll be worth it. So she agreed to go on this hike. So why would Taylor do this? Why would she follow me? It made no sense. It was a very difficult journey, and I couldn't explain to her why it was worth it. But she had the courage to keep going. It's because... She trusted me. Her trust of me outweighed the logic of the difficulties in front of her. Her trust of me outweighed the insurmountable odds that when she makes it up this hill, it'll be worth it. But let me tell you, the garden that we saw when we got up there was one of the coolest views I've ever seen in my life. And I pray Taylor says the same thing. Please don't ask her after church. <laughs> Joseph is being put in kind of a similar difficult position. He's being asked to do something really challenging, and it didn't make sense to him. He did not know what he was getting into. The angel doesn't explain the next 10 years what it's going to look like. No, all he really knows is this is going to push me and be hard, and he would need courage. The second thing is he would need the courage to trust the Lord even when it's difficult. Trust takes courage, right? Our greatest moments of courage usually boil down to trusting someone or something else. For example, if you jump out of an airplane, you're trusting that this parachute's gonna open. If you're asking someone to marry you, you're trusting them to say yes, or else it'll be really uncomfortable for everyone. When you're teaching your children to drive, I imagine you're trusting them to like not kill you, and you're like, God help me now. Great moments of courage require great amounts of trust. When we trust someone, if we will trust someone, then we will have the courage to do things even when they're difficult. So if you want to grow in courage this morning, it starts with you growing in trust. And the only way to build trust is through taking steps of faith. For example, I, nor any of you, built any of these chairs in this room, right? We didn't build them. None of us know how they're built. We don't know how old they were. They're used, so we really don't know how old they were. We don't know how sturdy these chairs are. But for some reason, every time we come in here, we sit down in a chair, we trust that we're not going to fall on our butt. No one's like really nervous, like, please don't fall, please don't fall, like slowly sitting in it. No, we just sit down. How do we build this trust? Well, you sat down in the chair, and it did not break. You took a step of faith, a small step of faith. You sat in a chair, and then it didn't break. So now you have the courage, the next time to sit in the chair, you trust it's not going to break. 
So you continue trusting this chair is not going to break because you continue sitting in it. Sitting down in a chair is not a big step of faith, right? It's a small step, but slowly over time it builds the trust. So if you want to have the courage to do difficult things for Jesus, the way you build that is not necessarily through like, I'm going to go be a missionary right now, taking a huge step. No, just take a small step of trust. Do the first thing in front of you. For Joseph, Joseph did not, he wasn't like, yes, you know what? I know exactly how I'm going to be the earthly father to the heavenly Messiah. No, he just didn't divorce Mary. That's it. He didn't figure out a 10-step plan of raising Jesus. All he did in that moment was say, okay, I won't divorce Mary. One step at a time, he slowly built faith, slowly showed courage. And over time, as he said yes to Jesus, over time, as he was faithful, these small steps in difficult seasons built his trust, which built his courage. See, Joseph had to trust God when he was asked to do something difficult. And the same thing is true for us. I don't know what giant you're staring at right now. Maybe life's great and you're thriving, good for you. Or maybe you're in the middle of a difficult season. Maybe you're facing something challenging. Maybe God's asking you to do something difficult. Maybe it's giving up a sin issue, changing a relationship, taking a risk, getting out of your comfort zone. Whatever it is, it takes courage to face down a giant. It'll take courage to do something challenging. But if we will trust God, he'll carry us through difficulty. I think in the middle of difficult seasons, we often think we just got to grit our teeth and bear it and like work our way through it. That doesn't usually work very far because we're trusting ourselves to work through it. How about we trust God, the creator of the universe, and let him carry us through our fear? Courage isn't just the absence of fear. No, courage is the willingness to do the right thing in the face of fear. So courage is you just saying yes to Jesus, even though you're a little scared. So the angel comes to Joseph and says, do not be afraid. Don't fear man. Don't fear difficulty. And after the angel says, do not be afraid, it gives Joseph further instruction. In Matthew chapter 1, 20, verse 21, it says this. The angel is talking. Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This might not make a like jump out to us right away, but I want you to figure out what the angel's saying. See, Joseph's been told, you're not gonna, you know, like father your kid. You don't get to make them. Now he's being told, you also don't get to name your child. Naming a child is one of the basic parental rights. And as a father in this time period, it would have been the father's right to name his son. So I'm imagining if my dad came to me when my twin boys are born, it was like, son, you shall name the first one Bert. I'd be like, no, you don't get to tell me what to name my kid. That's my right. My kid, my name. No, Joseph, though, is being asked to give up this right. And this is going to take some courage. The third thing Joseph needed the courage to do is the courage to give up his rights. And really, it's his right to name Jesus. Names are important. Names aren't just something you put on an ID card. No, names say something about us. Names tell us of our character, our history. For example, my second son's name is Judah Paul Andrew Quimby. Judah comes from the Old Testament character and means to worship, to adore God. Our prayer is that my son will worship God first and foremost. Paul is from the New Testament church planter and missionary. I pray that my son will live a life for other people, that he'll do whatever it takes to see other people come to know Jesus. Andrew is both my middle name, connecting him to me, but also it's in the name of the disciple Peter's brother. The disciple Andrew was a humble man whose main claim to fame, the biggest thing he did was go find one person. He found his brother and brought him to Jesus. 
Andrew's life was never about him. It was about serving Jesus and being humble. I pray that my son is humble and loves the one. Finally, Quimby tells you he's mine. He's my family. That's his name. See, in naming my son, I'm speaking life, truth, identity, and future over him. I'm speaking who I want God to create him to be. I'm telling the world, this is who my son is. In giving up the right to name Jesus, Joseph is giving up the right to say who Jesus is. Joseph's saying only God gets to say who Jesus is. And I think in our culture, we often think we get to name Jesus, that we get to define Jesus. We get to say who Jesus is and what he stands for. That we get to pick and choose from what the Bible says and twist it to fit our culture and our preferences. But we don't have this right. We don't get to name Jesus. We don't have the right to name Jesus. God already did it. This means we don't get to say who Jesus is and what he stands for. We don't get to only follow certain commands of Jesus. No, we have to have the courage to follow the entire Jesus. We have to have the courage to follow the Jesus as defined in the Bible. That's who Jesus is. Not what anyone else says. Not what TikTok says. No, it's the Jesus of the Bible. That's it. We don't get to follow the American Jesus who says, you get to pursue the American dream and live for yourself and God. No. We also don't get to follow the watered-down Jesus who says, everything's okay, you do, you, it'll be fine, just love people. No, those aren't the real Jesuses. Those are two ends of an extreme. No, we have to follow the real Jesus as named by God and shown to us through the Bible. Let me take you back to 1999. In the hit movie, Big Daddy, (laughs) Sonny Colfax is a 32-year-old man who's doing life on his own. And through a strange series of events, Sonny has to start taking care of this five-year-old child, Julian. Sonny's got no idea what he's doing and how to parent. And he makes this revelation. He says, the key to parenting is I'm just going to let Julian do whatever he wants. And this goes so far that one day, Julian wants to change his name. Julian says, I don't want to be called Julian anymore. I want my name to be Frankenstein. Sonny says, all right, sounds great, Frankenstein. Was that good parenting? No. Julian was five years old. Julian was not in a position to be making making decisions for his life. He didn't have a good perspective. He's five. He's not smart. He (laughs) needs guidance. He needs a dad. He needs someone smarter than him showing him right and wrong and saying, son, you probably shouldn't call yourself Frankenstein. A, there's probably a copyright issue there. B, you're going to get made fun of, okay? Your name's not Frankenstein, Julian. And tell him how to be a man. Anyways, (laughs) often we're like Julian. We're trying to name Jesus trying to name ourselves. We're trying to decide what's right and wrong. We're trying to decide truth. We're not that smart. We don't have the perspective to name Jesus. We don't get to decide truth. Unless you're an infinite being outside of time who created everything, you don't get to decide what's right and wrong. Only God gets to define God. Only God gets to define Jesus in truth because he's God. So first we try to name Jesus and and define what's truth for everyone, and then we zero in and try to name ourselves and say, I'm Frankenstein, or what I mean is we decide, this is who I'm going to be. This is how I'm going to live my life. We just need to listen to God. We don't get to pick how we live our lives because we're too fickle to make these big decisions. For example, in moments of rage or anger, we justify to ourselves that we're right we're like, it's okay that I get angry and scream at this person. Anger is not that big of a sin. There's other sins that are worse. I can scream if I want because we're so angry and our emotions are going. Looking back to Big Daddy, there's a scene they go trick-or-treating and they get to a house that doesn't have any candy 
And Sonny proceeds to go inside this guy's house. He yells at him, threatens him, and threatens to beat him up until the guy gives Julian his watch and some cereal. <laughs> was Sonny making the best decision for his life? Probably not. It was Sonny's emotions talking. He's probably a little nervous about this new kid thing. So he probably wasn't in the right frame of reference to be deciding right and wrong. Because I think anyone in their right frame of reference is like, you know what? Probably shouldn't beat up this guy who doesn't have candy for trick-or-treating and make him give my son his watch. That's probably not the right decision, right? Our emotions lead us to do the wrong thing sometimes because we're relatively unsteady beings. Jesus, on the other hand, he doesn't change with the wind. Jesus doesn't change and ride the roller coaster of our lives. No, he's lasting. His truth is steady. That's why Jesus gets to tell you how to live. Because Jesus isn't being swayed by everything. Jesus isn't driven by emotion. No, Jesus is steady. He's the grown-up in the room. Jesus is the only one who's equipped to name us. He's the only one equipped enough to tell us how we should live our lives. Tim Keller says this, Only if we give him our supreme allegiance will we get what we need most from him. We need him to name us. He made us. He knows who we are, what we are made for, and what will fit us. Jesus gets to name us or tell us how to live our life or define who we're going to be because he knows us. God created you and designed you from your mother's womb. God knows how you should best live your life. I like to think of God kind of like a board game inventor. This inventor is going to know the best way to play the game. This inventor should know the best strategy to win the game because he invented the game. He created it so he knows the best way to live. It's his game. Our life is we're playing his game, and he gives us the key to winning. Why not use it? God gets to name Jesus and tell us what's right and wrong in the world because he has a much better perspective. <clears throat> God gets to name us and tell us how to live our lives on an individual basis because he's so much more steady and because he created us. So our job is not to define reality. No, our job is to have the courage to give up the rights to name things, to give up the right to define reality and just obey Jesus. It takes courage to give up our rights. We live in a culture, it's all about our rights. You, even saying that word right in the wrong context and you can get very much attacked. We think that our job is to protect our rights at all costs. I get to do what I want, that's my right, I'm an American. But according to Luke 9, 23, Mark 8, 34, Matthew 16, 24, when Jesus describes what it looks like to follow him, he says, this is your right. You have the right to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me daily if you want to be my disciple. That's our right, to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus daily. Followership of Jesus is defined and centered on this idea of denying self. Denying self, our rights, do what we want to live for us, to give up this right in submission to Jesus. We must have the courage to give the right to lead your life to God. I think sometimes like the courageous people are the ones who are like, get all huffy and say, I gotta do what I want, so I'm tough. That's not courage, that's a coward who's too scared of their God, who's too scared of the world around them. No, a courageous person bows the knee to a king and says, I will serve you because I trust you. That's courage. Courage isn't being someone who's like, I stand for me. That's not it. Practically, this means we need to submit to the entirety of Jesus' teachings. We don't get to pick and choose. So when Jesus says flee sexual morality, you flee sexual morality. When Jesus says to abide in him and spend time with him, you do that. We don't get to be too busy to spend time with God. When Jesus says don't get angry, to confess sin, to be humble, to avoid drunkenness, to love your enemies, to forgive people, not hold bitterness, to be generous, we don't get to pick and choose our favorites from the Bible. No, we're either all in or we're all out. Jesus is either your Lord or he is not. 
<clears throat> in the same theme of talking about Taylor and I's vacations, a few years ago we went to Costa Rica. We signed up to spend a day going to see how coffee's made, and I love coffee, so I was very excited. And the hotel tells us that our guide is going to be there to walk us there. We were confused, like, what do you mean walk to this coffee farm? We assume we'd be driving, right? And they're like, oh, no, 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 you can't drive to the coffee farm. It's up the mountain, silly. We're like, what did we sign up for? Taylor literally only had Crocs with her. That's the only kind of shoe she had, so she climbed a mountain in Crocs. Anyways, our guide comes down to the hotel, and his name is Henry. Henry's this peaceful, older Costa Rican man who does not speak English, and so he kind of gives us some instruction through the interpreter. He says, if we're going to climb this mountain well, and if we're going to make it to the coffee farm, we would need to follow his every command. If he stopped, we need to stop immediately. If he goes in a strange direction, we follow. He would go first, and he would have to beat on trees to scare away animals. When he said that, I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen right now? And he had this little dog. He's like, don't follow the dog, just follow me. In order for us to climb this mountain and go on this adventure of a lifetime, we had to obey Henry, every command. We had to obey Henry when it made sense and when it did not make sense. We need to obey him when it was easy and when he took the hard path. We would need to unconditionally obey Henry or else our adventure was not going to go well. We're spending this morning answering this question. Why did Joseph get a role in the Christmas story? Why did God choose Joseph to raise his son? It was not because of Joseph's skill set or his upbringing, his intelligence. No, the reason God chose Joseph was because he was obedient. And not only was Joseph obedient, he was unconditionally obedient. I think we often like the idea of obeying God, but we put conditions on it. I will obey God if. I will do this if. I'll be a Christian as long as I don't do X, Y, and Z. God, as long as you don't infringe on my time, God, my money, God, you don't infringe on my pleasure, God, or my family, God, don't touch my family, or infringe on my career, God, as long as you don't touch that area, I'm all in, God. We want God, but on our own terms. When we act like this, we are saying, God, you can be my friend, you can be my advisor, you can be my genie, but you can't be my Lord. But if we want life with God the way it was designed, if we want to be used by God, if we want to go on this adventure of life with God, Jesus must be Lord, nothing less. God is like Henry. God wants to take, wanted to take Joseph on an adventure. God wanted to do really cool things in Joseph's life. He wanted to climb some mountains and make a difference. God wanted to give Joseph's life meaning and purpose. He wanted him to raise his own son. God had a huge call for Joseph, he was trusting him with the most important person in all of humanity. But in order for Joseph to be used by God, God needed to know, Joseph, will you obey me unconditionally? Will you have the courage to obey me even when the world looks down on you for it? Will you have the courage to obey me even when it doesn't make sense? Will you have the courage to obey me even when it's challenging? Will you have the courage to obey me no matter what? And in Matthew 1, 24 and 25, we get our answer. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she'd given birth to his son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph had the courage to obey. Joseph got to go on the adventure of a lifetime. Joseph got to have the favor of God because God was his Lord. Joseph got favor because he obeyed unconditionally. And because Joseph obeyed unconditionally, we're still talking about him 2,000 some years later. 
Joseph's unconditional obedience led him to be used by God in such a powerful way. It led to a life of adventure. It led to favor. He literally got to raise the Messiah. That's pretty cool, right? I pray that God would use me a fraction of that. So my question for you, church, is do you want to be used by God? Do you want to make a difference? Do you want your life to be remembered? Do you want everything God has for you? Do you want the favor of God? If so, you must have the courage to obey God unconditionally. Here's my challenge for us this morning. As we're wrapping up 2023 and looking to 2024, I want you to reflect on your life. Is there an area you're holding back from God? Is there something God has asked you to do, but you haven't had the courage to do it yet? Is there something off limits from God? Or have you placed a condition on your followership of God? Like, I'll follow you if. Is there any conditions? Or are you all in? The question this morning is, do you obey God unconditionally? Do you obey God unconditionally? Because there's no other way to obey him. The moment we place conditions on it is the moment it becomes disobedience. So what I want you to do this week is I want you to take time to really think about and answer this question. I know how easy it is for these moments and these sermons. We come listen to them and then we don't think about them. I really want you to answer this one question this week. I want you to take a few minutes And I really challenge you to do this with maybe your spouse or a close friend so you can point out blind spots. You might go up to your spouse like, yeah, I obey God unconditionally. And your spouse is like, what about that condition? You're like, I want to ignore that one. No, we need people in our lives to speak into us. I want you to ask this question to yourself. And if there's an area of disobedience, trust God and obey. If there's a condition on your obedience, give up that condition and jump all in. We don't obey God if, no, we, like Joseph, obey God unconditionally. And when we do this, when we say, I'll obey you unconditionally, then and only then do we get to go on the adventure of a lifetime. The main idea this morning is if we want the favor Joseph had, we must have the courage to obey God unconditionally. If we want the favor that Joseph had, if you want your story to count, you got to obey unconditionally. See, the beauty of the story of Joseph is it actually shows us the human side of Jesus because Jesus was both fully God and fully human. See, Jesus lived a human life with a human father, with human temptations, human suffering. But the difference between Jesus and us is Jesus in his human life was perfect. Jesus lived a sinless life. God, his heavenly father, sent him to do this because he knew we couldn't do it on our own. On our own, we are fallen. On our own, we give in to fear. We struggle to obey. Our imperfection separates us from the perfect God. On our own, when we see a wasp, we run inside and shut the door. But God loved us so much. Knowing all that, from the beginning of time, he knew that would happen. And from the beginning of time, he had this plan to send his son, Jesus, to come to earth on a mission. Remember verse 21, Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For Jesus will save his people from their sins. Why was Jesus sent? To save you from your sin. Jesus came to earth to save us from our sin. See, Christmas morning that we're getting ready to celebrate, Christmas morning is so important. But its real importance comes from its connection to Easter Sunday. Because we serve a God 
who yes, came as a baby in all humility, but also lived a perfect life and then died on a cross and then rose from the grave to save us from our sins. And now all he's asking you to do is to trust him with your life. Trust your creator, trust God. And if we will trust God, we'll be saved from our sins. So if you've never submitted your life to Jesus, this morning is your morning. It's time to jump on with God. And I also feel there's people here who've been running from God, that you maybe trusted God at one point in time, but you've ran away because you weren't sure you can trust him. God is just asking you, he's imploring you, will you have the courage to come back, to not think that your sin has been too extreme to create too much of a separation? Or will you turn around and turn to Jesus and let him draw you back in and you run towards God and let him wash you white as snow? No matter what you've done, you've not outrun God. All it takes is the courage to make a one step to turn around. Church, I think God wants to take us on a huge adventure. God has huge plans for 2024 for this church. I think we have no idea what God wants to do. God wants to use us in powerful ways. God wants to pour his favor out on our church. For Chi Alpha, our campus ministry, I proclaimed, I said, I want 2024 to be the year of revival. And I think that's true for our whole city in the Cedar Valley, that 2024 can be the year of revival, the year that God does, first of all, new things in our hearts. Revival just means doing something new, breathing life. And I think God wants to breathe life into our hearts in these next few months, breathe life into us and turn us upside down for him. And then in the coming months, he wants to breathe revival on our city and on our campus and see a ton of people come to know Jesus. Imagine what it looked like if hundreds or thousands of people came to know their Savior, King Jesus. If God reported his favor on our church, God can do it. God can use our church to change Cedar Valley. The question is, can we do our part and be unconditionally obedient? Can God trust us? Can God trust us to obey him unconditionally? And if we will have the courage to do that, no telling what God will do. If you all stand with me this morning. If you're here this morning and either you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never trusted him, or maybe you've been running away from God and you want to change that and you want to turn back to God and trust him with your life and let him wash your sin, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that. So I'm going to ask you to do is to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I'm gonna to count to three. And on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand as an outward symbol of obedience to Jesus if you say, Jesus, I'm all in. So if you wanna give your life to Jesus, maybe for the first time, or you wanna turn back to God this morning, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray for you all. Jesus, thank you for our new members and their family, God. Jesus, thank you for wiping away every tear, wiping away every sin, God. Thank you for creating a fresh pathway to you, God. Thank you for having the courage to come to us to pay for our sins. Amen. Man, you can all open your eyes. I want to speak over a few different areas. And so what I want you to do is just, where you're at is I'm going to speak over three different areas. And if you are struggling with that area, once I start talking about it, I just want you to open your hands. It's kind of an outward sign to God saying, Jesus, this is me. I receive that. So if, first of all, I think some of us need the courage to not worry so much about what people think of us. If that's you, just open your hands right now and receive. I'm going to pray over you. The courage to not care so much what people think about us. Jesus, I just pray that we will be a church 
of boldness. Jesus, I pray that we'll be a bold church that doesn't live our lives defined by what people around us think of us, God, but instead we will stand for you, God. I pray that we'll be a church that stands strong for you, God, and receives the blessings of you, God, and receives the favor of you because of our obedience and our courage. The second group is I want you to open your hands up and you can keep your hands open if you want for the first one. But if you are in a difficult season, I want you to open your hands and receive from God. If you need the courage to stand strong in a difficult season, open your hands to God. Jesus, I just pray over any difficulties that are happening in our lives right now, God. I pray that you'll just fill our church with courage in the middle of these difficulties, God. That you'll give us strength to stand on you, God. To trust you even when life is difficult, God. I just speak courage over this group, God. Courage over difficult seasons and that when we get through the eye of the storm, we're going to see you, Jesus. And finally, if there's some people in here who need the courage to obey God unconditionally, open your arms to him right now and receive this, to obey God unconditionally. Maybe you need to give something up for Jesus. Maybe you need to take off that condition for Jesus. God, I pray that we'll be an unconditionally obedient people, God that we will say yes to you over and over and over and over again, God. I just pray a heart of obedience in our church, God, that whatever you ask of us, Jesus, we will say, yes, Lord, yes, King, your wish is my command, God. I pray that any conditions that we place on our obedience to you will be dropped in your name right now, Jesus. I pray for any act of disobedience that that will be given up and maybe laid at the altar here this morning, Jesus, that we can be obedient to you above everything else. We love you so much, amen. Amen. We're going to continue in worship. And I encourage you, if there's something you need to give up to Jesus, I encourage you to come and literally lay it here at the altar. Lay it before the Lord as we worship together and as we pray together. So I'm going to pray for us one more time. And if that's you, I highly encourage you, come to the altar. We also have a prayer team. We'd love to pray with you. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this morning. And thank you for everything you've done in this Christmas season, God. Help us to be obedient like Joseph.